Good morning, friends, and welcome to Village Park Online. We're so glad that you've joined us today to gather around the Word of God. So grab your Bible, grab some coffee, uh, make yourself comfortable, and we're going to dive into the Word of God. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter uh, 2. We're in the middle of August right now. It's hot down here in Texas, and I was thinking back to about 19 years ago. I was a student in the Houston Fire Department's Fire Academy, and we were going through our training in the middle of the summer, and right about this time in our training, uh, we were doing a lot of things with firefighting, especially rolling hoses and carrying ladders around. And there was this one experience I was thinking about because I was outside recently and it was just so hot. And it reminded me of this day we were out there and we had this one instructor that was just, man, he was a real pain. And, and we were out rolling hoses. We were learning the different techniques for how to roll the fire hose up and then we'd have to roll it up and then roll it out again and try it again. And we had to do it to the point where then that, that, uh, teacher would approve of the way that we had done the role and this guy on this particular day decided that he was going to pick on me and this other guy he did it every day he would pick different people that he would kind of uh, pick on and on this particular day we were the ones it was really hot and he just kept making us roll this over and over again saying that it was wrong and finally I'd had enough and I just decided I rolled it up and he said no Pollard you're gonna have to do it again and I picked it up and I ran to the top of the the burn tower or the, the tower where we would run. And I just said, I, you know, if they fire me, they're just gonna have to fire me, but I'm not rolling this thing up again. But I had a, my friend that was with me that he kept saying, nope, it's wrong, it's wrong. And eventually that, that young man uh, had heat exhaustion, was severely dehydrated. They had to call the ambulance out and take him away. And man, I was at the top of that tower, uh, man, just so mad at what was happening. My friend was, was really sick, had to miss a couple days of class. And I overheard that guy having a conversation later with someone. They were asking what happened to that student in our class. And he said, oh, someone couldn't take the heat like he was super macho. And I'm telling you, my, when I heard him say that, my first thought was not, man, I really want to grab him and pray with him. I'll tell you that. I wanted to really punch the guy in the face. And I just thought, man, here's a guy that is treating us so unfairly, so ridiculously, treating us harshly, and it wasn't even necessary. Uh, recently, or a few years ago, there was a man named Cornelius Dupree. He was 51 years old when he was released from prison. He had spent 30 years in prison and he was released for a crime that he had not committed. He had been in prison for 30 years for a crime that he did not commit and they released him after he spent over half of his life in prison. And I was watching a video of that when it happened and we stood before the judge who was setting him free. His response or his words to Dupree were, I'm sorry for everything. And I just thought, man, is that really enough you know, what an injustice for a guy to spend half of his life in prison for something that he didn't do. Imagine for a moment, if that were you, that you had spent 30 years in prison for something you didn't do, or you spent uh, time in a hospital because someone treated you unfairly or treated you harshly. You know, we live in a world of injustices. We live a wor in a world where all the rights don't see, or all the wrongs don't seem to be made right. And I believe that as long as the world is filled with and run by broken people, there is going to be brokenness in the world. There is going to be injustices. There will be hurts. And we've all been treated harshly or we've been treated unfairly at some point in our lives. The American entertainer, Jack Benny, once received an award and he said, I don't deserve this award, but I have arthritis and I, don't, I didn't deserve that one either. And I thought that was pretty funny because there are things in our lives that happen to us that sometimes we have no control over. And sometimes we suffer injustices or we suffer hurt or heartache for things that are beyond our control. And have you ever had that happen in your life? Maybe you were reprimanded for something that 
you weren't responsible for. Maybe you got in trouble with your parents for something that you didn't do. One of my best stories with my brother Sam is that one time I suffered uh, a whooping at my house because of something that my brother had done to me. And I still to this day uh, make fun of that situation. Maybe you've done something uh, or had something happen to you that's even more severe than that. You've lost money in an investment because maybe someone scammed you. Have you ever been the victim of abuse? Maybe you've had a friend that hurt you or a coworker that went behind your back and kind of got the promotion over you or a spouse who doesn't appreciate what you do or maybe neglects you in your relationship. Maybe you've had a parent who mistreated you. I want you to imagine if you can for a moment as we've been studying through the book of 1 Peter, what these Christians in the Roman Empire would have felt about, uh, felt. They were living in oppression. Their rights were being constantly violated. They were having property taken away from them because they were Christians. They were seeing their friends' lives being taken by government that was overreaching and overbearing and persecuting Christians. And Peter tells them, as we studied last week in verses 13 to 17, that they're to let their light shine. They're, they're to let people see their good works by submitting to governments who treat them unfairly and unharshly. That when people do bad things to them, they are to respond in a Christian way. And what Peter is calling them to is really, in a lot of ways, unthinkable. You're telling me that I'm to respond to people who, who might treat me poorly and respond in a way to do good to them so that they could come to know Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, he said to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. How can we do that? How is a Christian supposed to respond to someone who treats them unjustly? That's the question that I want us to explore today. And so let's dive in in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. He writes, servants be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. There's a great tension that's presented in this verse. Peter is addressing in this verse a specific group of people. In verse 18, the word that he uses that's translated in the English language servants, it meant a slave or a bondservant. Many historians believe that the total percentage of slaves in the Roman Empire may have constituted between 25 to 40% of the population of the Roman Empire. Some were the spoils of war. The Romans would invade and then they would take people as slaves. And some were children of slaves who simply automatically became the property of their owners. Sometimes people would sell themselves into slavery to pay off debt to someone. And slavery in this culture was more on a social, economic, and political status rather than race or ethnicity. And please understand, as we go through here today, I just want to throw this out right at the beginning that that God through the pen of Peter is going to give instructions to slaves that are living as slaves and servants in this culture. But by giving them instructions, I want you to understand that God is not condoning slavery. He's not saying that slavery is okay. And so because of that, you're to live as slaves in this way any more than God would believe that it's okay for governments to oppress people and to kill people as Nero was doing to these Christians. Just because God gives instructions to someone on how to live in the midst of a circumstance doesn't mean necessarily that God condones the actions of those or the culture that is around those things. I just want to throw that out there. But in verse verse 18, the word servant, it means household servants or slaves. Many, many times these people could be teachers. 
They could have been cooks. They could have been people that cleaned the house. They could have been, even sometimes the slaves were physicians that would really attend to the needs of the family. But notice what he says in that verse. He says, servants, be subject to your masters. Now that's the same word that Peter used in verse 13 when he talked about to Christians to be subject to every human institution. It means to place oneself voluntarily under the authority of another. It denotes that word to be subject, that phrase, it, it denotes that it's an act of the will. And notice in verse 18 that you will not find any qualifier. He says that we are to, those servants were to subject themselves to their masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. He doesn't say, look, you know, subject yourself to the masters of your house if they treat you well. He says, no, not just for the good, but also to those who are unjust or harsh. That means if you're, if you're experiencing physical maltreatment, which would be common in that time. Maybe there were some who were crooked and dishonest with the way that they would pay. The working conditions were bad. In fact, Barclay, writing about the history of this time, wrote this. He said, whatever a master does to a slave undeservedly, in anger, willingly, unwillingly, in forgetfulness, after careful thought, knowingly or unknowingly, it is judgment, justice, and law. Basically, to summarize, he's saying in that culture, whatever the master wanted to do to his servant, he had the right to do. Now imagine the injustices of a system like that. Imagine trying to be a Christian servant at this time. One of the unique things about the gospel is that Jesus came to die for the sins of the world, not just masters, but for servants, not for just the rich, but also the poor. And so within the church, within the context of the Christian community, you had both masters and servants in the same church, equal in the eyes of God, because they had all been saved by the same grace. But I want you to try to imagine being a, Christ, a Christian and being a servant in a culture where there were so many injustices. And notice in verse 18 what Peter says, that they're to be subject unto these masters with all respect. Now, what is he referring to there? I want to answer that as we kind of unpack this. Is he talking about a respect for the master, a respect for the system of society? Is he, a respect, is he saying with respect for people? But let's dig deeper. Notice he continues in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That word gracious that's used in both verse 19 and verse 20, it means that it is acceptable to God. One of my favorite movies ever is the movie Gladiator. And in the opening scene, Maximus is, uh, the, the Roman soldiers are gathered together. They're going to fight against the barbarians. And, and he's having a conversation with Quintus, who's one of his uh, generals. And, and he says, soldier, or excuse me, Quintus says to one of the soldiers, he says, soldier, I told you to move those catapults forward. They're out of range. And so Maximus, he responds, and he's going to be leading the charge of the cavalry. Cavalry says the range is good. And Quintus responds, but it's a danger to the cavalry. And Maximus turns and says, it's acceptable. And I'm thinking as I'm watching that scene that Maximus, who's going to be in that cavalry, is telling his 
his general, he's telling him the, the range is good, that there's an acceptable, there's an acceptable, acceptable risk or danger for those who are in the cavalry. And I've never been hit with anything launched from a catapult, but I'm pretty sure that it's going to leave a pretty good mark. And I'm thinking to myself like, no, you don't want to put yourself in any kind of danger or risk. But his response was, it's acceptable. And so I find what Peter is calling these servants to in these verses so difficult to comprehend. He says in verse 19, for this is acceptable to God when a person who is suffering unfairly bears his trouble patiently because he is conscious of God's presence. That's kind of rephrasing that verse. In other words, what pleases God is in the midst of your suffering that you are mindful of God. So in verse 18, I asked you earlier when he says for servants to be subject to their masters out of respect, what's the respect he's talking about? It's not talking about a respect for your master or for the society that would say this kind of behavior or system is okay. It's out of respect or awe and reverence for God. God never in his word asks us to do anything out of fear of men, but he always asks us to obey him out of a fear and a reverence for God. And in verse 20, what he says is, if you suffer for evil, what good is that for you to you? But if you do good and you suffer for it, in the eyes of God, that is acceptable or gracious. So let me summarize these verses before we, we go on. What Peter's saying is this, with a constant abiding fear of the presence of God, servants, live your life in submission to your masters, regardless of the way that you're treated. Now, I think that's a pretty difficult pill to swallow if you were living as a servant in that time. I mean, it's one thing to be told to submit to our servant, our masters who are good. But he says you have to submit to those who are evil and harsh also. And that this is acceptable to God for you to suffer in this way. Now, how many of you have a friend that is kind of a one-upper? I call them one-uppers. They, regardless of what story you've told, they always have a one-up. You know, you, you take a trip to Disney World and you say, man, we went to Disney. We went for four days. It was amazing. And they're like, oh, we went five. I mean, you always got to have something better to say. And what they're saying is, well, yeah, what you've gone through or what you've experienced ain't nothing compared to what I've gone through. And that's what's going to happen in these next verses. There's going to be this amazing moment because as, as hard as it would have been to take Peter's instruction in those verses, he's going to say something even more challenging in verse 21. For to this you have been called. What's the this there? To this life of suffering and obedience and being subject to these masters who are sometimes harsh. This life of suffering for to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now let's look at the three parts of what Peter says in verse 21. He says, first of all, for to this you have been called. Now when we read 1 Peter, we love the call of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 when Peter describing uh, our salvation in Christ is, is that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Man, we love that call. Man, we're, we're called out of darkness to light. We want that kind of call. But we do not like the call of verse 21 if we're being honest. That we have been called to a life of suffering. And we're called to respond graciously to unjust suffering. 
And this is the moment where uh, we begin, our pride begins to, to raise up and we, our radar is kind of going up like, wait, hang on a second. What about my rights? What about what's fair to me? What about me getting what I really deserve? What about justice? Wait, what about right and wrong? What if someone treats me poorly? How, how am I ever going to have that wrong made right? If we're honest, I don't really think sometimes in our lives we want what's fair, do we? I mean, we have our own skeletons in our closet. But imagine in this moment being told that you have been called to this kind of life of suffering, even at the hands of unjust people. And then the second part of verse 21, he says, because Christ has also suffered for you. And we're going to unpack that a little more in a moment. And the third part is leaving you an example to follow in his steps. In other words, the way that Christ suffered for you, that's the life that you have been called to. And when we respond like Christ, we respond graciously and follow in his steps. This is pleasing to, to God. So in the next few verses, Peter's going to give us some of the steps of Jesus along the way as he suffered for us. Notice in verse 22. He being Jesus committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is an emphatic statement about the perfection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And so any mistreatment of Jesus would have been unjust. And not only did he never do anything wrong, he never said anything wrong. Never said anything crooked or dishonest. Never spoke badly or poorly of someone. He was never the unjust master to someone. He was perfect. So anything that happened to Jesus in terms of punishment is unjust. And yet the cross is what Jesus came for. To suffer, not for his sins, but for ours. Notice what Peter says in verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So he gives us more steps along the journey. And then he says, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That word revile, it means to reproach or to rail at, to heap abuse upon. Imagine being innocent, but being called guilty. Imagine Cornelius Dupree, the gentleman that I told you about earlier, who spent half of his life in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Imagine being in that courtroom the day that he was pronounced guilty and condemned and sentenced to this long prison sentence and hearing the, the gavel slam down and you were being judged for something that you had not done. Imagine how much more Christ felt when on the cross he was called a heretic and he was called a liar when he had never sinned. Our initial reaction to hurtful words is to hurt back. Because hurt people end up trying to hurt people. But that is not the life that Jesus Christ lived. When people spoke evil against him, he only responded with that which was good and with the truth. When insults and accusations and hurtful language were heaped upon Jesus, he didn't respond with the same. And furthermore, when he suffered, he didn't threaten punishment or revenge. And Peter is telling us all of that in these verses. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew records what happened to Jesus in his final moments on the earth. And those who passed by Jesus as he was hanging on the cross derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. 
In Luke's gospel, he records in chapter 23 and verse 34 and that Jesus on the cross of these same people who were mocking him and ridiculing him and reviling him said to God the Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus never wished them evil. He didn't hold a grudge. He didn't promise revenge. He didn't threaten. He didn't withdraw from offering forgiveness. He suffered injustice with grace and with love and with mercy. And this is seen in what Peter says in verse 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. The suffering of Jesus on the cross was at our hands. It was at your hands and at mine. And it's so easy to miss the truth of this passage. Notice, look back up to verse 21 again. For to this you have been called. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. He suffered for you. And verse 24, this glaring truth, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Justice says that we should bear our own sins in our own bodies, on our own cross. But Jesus, responding to that injustice, bore your sin and he bore my sin on, in his body on the cross. Jesus is the suffer, uh, uh, excuse me. Jesus is the servant who suffered unjust, harsh and hateful treatment. He had unjust accusations hurled at him, and he suffered at the hands of those who were unjust and those who were sinners. And he endured punishment from crooked, abusive, and perverse people who thought that they in some way were his master. And Jesus did all of that for us. By his stripes, the ones that we placed on his back by our sins, we are healed. We are the harsh masters in the story whose sins cost Jesus his life. And yet Jesus suffered for our sins. And he didn't have to. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that he would lay his life down, that no one would take his life from him, but he would lay it down of his own will. Jesus suffered for us. And in the midst of his suffering, Jesus did something else. And I want you to notice it at the end of verse 23. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The language there, it denotes a continuous, ongoing action. That in the midst of all of his suffering, as he bore our sins in his body on the tree, he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How did Jesus respond with grace and love to unjust suffering? Well, he surrendered to God. That word entrusting there in verse 23, it means to surrender or to yield to and to trust. He trusted God because God is the one who judges justly. As great as laws can be and as great as court systems and judicial systems can be and as great as our democracy is, it still falls short. It still falls short. There are still injustices that happen. But when it comes to God, there is never an injustice. 
He is the one who judges everything justly. And as Jesus suffered, he surrendered his life to God. He trusted God to right all of the wrongs. And why did he do it? Why would Jesus be willing to suffer injustices? It's in verse 24. That we who were dead in our sins should live unto righteousness. He did it all to give his life so that we might be healed. He gave himself for us so that we might find life in him. In verse 25, Peter expounds, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We were straying in our sins. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. And Peter tells us that this is the life of Christ, that he suffered for us so that we who were straying sheep could be brought into the family of God and under the care of the good shepherd and overseer of our souls. Jesus suffered, and as he suffered, he surrendered. And I want to go back to verse 21 as a reminder that what, Jesus, what God spoke through the pen of the Apostle Peter to these people, I think it speaks down through the ages to all of us today. He says to these servants, for to this you have been called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Our suffering reminds us to surrender. Living for Christ means embracing suffering because that was the life that Christ lived. And he lived that for us and for our good. Living for Christ means surrendering to God and letting him right the wrongs because that's the life of Christ. In the midst of all that, Peter said, he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Many times when we suffer, we don't want to surrender to God. When we suffer, especially in injustices, we want to take the law into our own hands. But we have to be reminded that our suffering reminds us to surrender. And this teaching was undoubtedly a punch in the gut to these first century Christians, as it is to me and maybe you today. How can you live for Christ when your government is corrupt? How can you live for Christ when you're being persecuted and even killed for the faith? How can you live for Christ in the midst of a world of injustices? And what Peter tells us is embrace the life of Christ. This is the life that Christ lived. And now he's given us an example to follow in his steps. We are called to suffer for the sake of Christ. But our suffering reminds us to surrender. And can we be honest that this kind of attitude doesn't naturally flow from us? We are not naturally forgiving people. We do not naturally love our enemies. We do not naturally turn the other cheek. We don't naturally treat people that treat us unjustly with grace and with mercy. It's not our natural instinct to stand back and just take it. But when injustices happen, there's always a subtle temptation for self-preservation and the not-so-subtle temptation 
to exact our revenge. And in doing so, we cut people off. We end relationships. And rather than responding to injustices with grace and with kindness and with the love of Christ, we respond in the same way that those who nailed Jesus to the cross responded to him. So how do you respond when someone treats you poorly? When your husband or your wife talks down to you? When your boss is crooked and unfair? When someone says something about you that is hurtful and untrue? When your, when your friend betrays you? When you find out that someone is spreading lies about you? Is it to lash out and heap insults back or are you more prone to respond in grace and kindness? Do you strike back or do you surrender to God and trust Him to make it right? Do you instantly demand your rights or do you surrender them to God to right the wrongs? Injustices will come in your life because the world is unjust and is sinful. Sin has wrecked God's creation. But how we respond to those injustices will make all the difference. When we suffer, we must surrender to God and let God right all the wrongs. You see, the life of Christ was a life of suffering, but it was also a life of surrender. And his life had a purpose. And that purpose was to come and to take our sins in his own body on the tree so that we who were dead to sin, would live unto God's righteousness. So when you suffer, Peter reminds us to surrender. We must embrace the life of Christ because only in doing so can we bring others to the same Savior who saved us. And when you embrace the life of Christ, God can use your suffering, as C.S. Lewis said, as a megaphone to shout his grace to a world of injustices. So you might be suffering today. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've been treated poorly by someone and you didn't deserve it. Maybe you look back in your life and your parents weren't the kind of parents that every kid should have. Maybe you look back at, at your life at some of the hurts. Maybe you're suffering today. In your suffering, I wanna remind you to surrender. Surrender completely to the life of Christ. Understand that there will be hurts and injustices, but how you respond to those things is going to make all the difference. Jesus suffered and surrendered to God and brought salvation to the entire world. And if we will follow in his steps, people will see how we respond to injustices and wrongs and hopefully with our lives see the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for Jesus who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we who were dead to sin should live to righteousness. And we thank you for the wounds of Jesus that have healed us. But we confess today, God, that we have wounds. We've been wounded emotionally. We've been wounded spiritually. And I know, Lord, that sometimes I carry those wounds with me. And I pray that today you would help me anew to surrender to you to make right all the wrongs in my own life and make me an instrument of peace as Jesus was 
to the world. And I pray the same for my friends who are watching today. Lord, we all have hurts and we've had things that have happened to us that were unjust and unfair. And Lord, rather than taking um, those matters into our own hands and trying to exact revenge, help us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who gave himself for the good of other people and trusted you completely to right the wrongs of this world. Lord, we believe and we affirm today and we confess that Jesus is the hope for what ails us and that you will right every wrong in the end. And so we trust you today. God, we surrender to you even in the midst of our suffering and hurt. And I pray that your grace will cover our lives and use us to bring others to the saving knowledge and embrace of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.